This episode has been sitting with me for a very long time. And what I'm going to be sharing, my friends, you may find disturbing or upsetting, whether it's the language or the description of memories that I share. Listener discretion is advised. I've been afraid to share this story, my friends, and as I listen back to previous episodes, I can't seem to find that deep, hidden story that sits with me day after day. Those memories and those sensations and those thoughts, yada, yada, yada. Really, the information that sits at my core, I've been afraid to share. I've been afraid to talk about him. I'm afraid to say his name. (sighs) So if I'm repeating anything you know, then I apologize. Perhaps you're hearing something new for the first time. Perhaps it's something old. Regardless, I feel that it's time for me to start sharing what's deeply hidden within. And I've written this story out. I felt like I needed to make proper notes on it. So it could be sounding like that I am reading because this was not something that I just wanted to wing. I don't want to wing it. I had done that with some episodes with my mother issues because I was so in the moment of that one. And so I just wanted to talk about that. But this one is different. So I wrote it out. Lately, I've been distracting myself with a lot of chocolate because that is what I do. That is part of my coping mechanism. And even as I've been working on other episodes that I have guests on and for guests that haven't come onto the show yet, You know, I've just been sort of avoiding talking about this and my body is paying for it. I have been increasingly getting stiffer and stiffer since last June, really essentially since the issues with my mom started coming up. And so I've been feeling it in my back, the upper part of my back up to my neck, been feeling it in my elbows and especially my feet. My feet have been just killing me like crazy. And that I've had since childhood. And any time I have had tests or medical treatment, nothing can be found. And the reason is, is because it sits so much deeper than that. It's not just a physical issue. It's representing itself as physical, but it's deep emotions, trapped emotions. This is what I've been working on lately with my chiropractor. He does what's called a Corin technique. I've talked about him before. And it's a technique where he communicates with my body on all the levels, physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional. And he has a little machine because, you know, he's a chiropractor. That's what he does. He also works on the meridian system. And I have so many trapped emotions from my childhood that not only am I generally quite numb, um, my body is stiff, stiff, stiff because there's only so long that I can hold on to those sensations, to those feelings. And so I've been working with him a lot more recently to start moving what needs to be moved, what is ready to be moved. I've honestly been deciding whether or not to swear on this show, because the truth is, if I can keep this clean, then there are certain countries that will allow it to be played. If I start using profanity, like I have in some previous episodes, then this content is banned from certain countries. But what isn't banned in all countries is sexual assault. So by now, friends, you know my story of childhood sexual assault. But what you don't know is him and the details I've left out. 
because I'm afraid and I'm afraid to be vulnerable. And as I continue to hear from other victims and their stories, we, we share the same blame and shame that's imposed on us. We share the names of people who are committing crimes, whether it's um, a murder, a terrorist attack, robberies, um, car thefts. We share the names of those people, but why is there so much blame and shame when it comes to naming the abusers of sexual assaults? I don't know, but it still freaks me out. And like I was talking with my therapist today, we were talking about, you know, the impact to him and his family, even though he's dead. I'm more concerned about how it impacts his family than telling my truth. And there's something wrong there. There's something wrong with that, that idea, because this is my story. This is my truth and I deserve to tell it. So to his family, this is what I say. I hope your father, friend, husband, or co-worker was the man you say he was in his obituary. I hope he was kind to you, loving, compassionate, funny, and friendly. I hope your memories of this man is one that leaves your heart fulfilled and that in his passing you have found closure and peace with his life. I truly wish this for you. And if this is true, you may never hear about what I'm going to say about this man because my experiences were vastly different and terrifying. His name was Marie Schmidt. He died in September of 2020. He was a realtor, a married man and father, and he had a sexual relationship with my mother for seven years, from the mid-70s to the early 80s. And I guess you could say he had a sexual relationship with me as well, starting at the age of three. He took my virginity. He took my innocence, my purity, my sweetness, and my entire childhood. And he replaced it with terror and self-loathing while all those beautiful aspects of myself were hidden for the next four decades. When my pedophile father and my mother divorced when I was two, my mother took up a relationship with Maurice shortly after. As I've described in my episodes called My Mother Issues, this relationship went on for years because he would provide food for us for, from time to time. He also helped do some work um, around the house. I'm sure there are plenty of other reasons why my mother stayed in, in that relationship, but none that I'm aware of, nor that she is willing to talk about. Because I have dissociative amnesia, the actual violence of the rapes I don't recall. I know that they're in my memory bank somewhere, and my strongest memories are recalled in my body and emotions. My reactions and sensations are rapidly trigger, and now that I understand that, those are the only memories that I need. Not to mention all the nightmares of him and sexual assaults plague my dreams for decades, but I survived as a little girl because my mind could disassociate. Here's what I remember. I'm sitting on the top of the stairs in our house in Delroy, a tiny hamlet outside of Calgary. The carpet on the stairs was blue shag with hints of orange and yellow, tossed in for that cheap 1970s look. I'm wearing my white sleeping top that has blue sleeves and a matching blue night pants. Maurice is sitting beside me, saying something I don't quite know and understand, but he slowly places his hand into my pants and touches my little vagina. I must have been around four or five, and he's twisted his fingers around down there until he pulls them out and makes me smell what my little vagina is like. He says to me, can you smell how dirty that is? This is dirty. 
He smells his fingers. I remember the day when I saw his car driving up the dirt driveway road to our house. I remember my mom not being around because when he came over a lot, my mother was never around. He came during the days, after school when my mom was working. I remember trying to find a place to hide in the house, but as we lived out in the country, it was difficult to find a true hiding spot, surrounded by all of this openness in the countryside. I'm running up the stairs as fast as my little legs could take me. I enter the bedroom that my brother and I shared at the time, and I thought I could hide in the closet with a few of my well-used hand-me-down toys, but they wouldn't hide me because there was never enough of them. I didn't hear him enter the house. Then I see, for the first time, that there's a hidden door at the back of the closet. It's an attic door. I unhook the latch, I find a light string, and I pull on it, and as the light blares, I freak out and I panic, because all I can see around this attic is dismembered mannequin body parts everywhere. There's heads, legs, arms, and just broken and spread apart, covered in layers and layers of dust. I didn't know what they were. I thought they were literally like human parts and remains, but it, it freaked me out. I didn't hear him enter the closet, but I remember him finding me, and I black out. I'm sitting in the living room, crutched into a tight ball in a rocking chair that my mum usually sits in. Again, my mother is nowhere to be seen. I see my brother in the far corner of the room. I'm wrapped in my white nightgown, the one that has ruffled sleeves around my neck and around my wrists with pink flowers all over it. And it's around my knees and I'm trying to be the tightest ball so he doesn't notice me. But he's there, beside me, leaning over the rocking chair into my face. And he says to me, he is cooing to me, it's good that you're a girl. It's good to be a girl. And I told him, I hate being a girl. He says, if you were a man, you'd have to shave every day. And I tell him, I'll grow a beard. On and on, this kind of conversation kept happening. And every time I kept trying to defend why it's not good to be a girl, why I would be better off being a man, this would affect me down the road. He just kept repeating to me, that it was good that I was a girl while he was touching me. I'm so angry and I'm so tightly wrapped that this was the moment when I started to hate being a girl. I was five. I didn't want to be a girl. It meant I was bad and I was wrong and I was going to be abused because I didn't know how to be safe. And of course, no one was around me to keep me safe. I didn't want him around me, but he always found me. He loved to play with my chest, tickle me and stroke me and caress my chest. My little breasts were betraying me. Why are they growing into these little mounds on my chest? And he likes them. I was wearing a bra by grade two. I had failed grade one because of being abused, which did a number of damage to me. So in grade two, I was wearing a bra and I felt completely ashamed of wearing a bra. I felt completely shamed that my body was betraying me because all men, all boys, are going to take advantage of it, and I can't stop it. I was seven years old when I remember him sleeping with my mother 
because one morning I woke up early and I wanted some breakfast. I walked into my mother's room, and on, which was on the main floor, and he's laying beside her on her waterbed. I remember that blue, the blue waterbed. They were partially naked, and thank God I couldn't see anything under those lower sheets. I remember him being around and doing some work on the house. My brother and I were helping him remove some shingles from the tiny roof of the building that we had next to the house. I remember because my brother pulled, pulled off one of the shingles and as he threw it to the side, he hit me in my left eye. Maurice helped my mom by taking me to the hospital to get it checked out. It was a really nasty injury, but my eye would eventually be fine. I don't know why or when Maurice stopped having a wrongful sexual relationship with us. But my mum would meet my stepfather at the Dutch Canadian Club in Calgary at some point when I was around 11 years old, and then we moved into the city of Calgary. I'm 15, and I now have a new stepfather, and I don't like him. Not at all. We're living in a mobile home park called Greenwood Village, and we're on the, one of the last houses in the park at the very edge, and there is nothing but empty fields ahead of us. At night, I would hear strange sounds. I could hear footsteps down the hallway while everyone was in bed, and I'd heard it for years. I could hear all the coyotes howling at night, coming onto our deck, scraping the wood. It was just a creepy time to be up there. And I remember Maurice coming to the house one day, and I was instantly filled with fear. How the fuck did he know where we lived? Was Mum still in contact with him? I was freaking out and he seemed surprised yet excited to see me at the door. And I remember he says this to me. Hi, is your mom around? No, is what I said. And then he had this look on his face, this mischievous look. And he said to me, do you want me to chase you around? Do you want me to tickle you? Like it's still a sick maniacal game. And his smile scared me. I was frozen. But I firmly said, no. And maybe it was because my, of my height that stopped him from coming in this time because I had been growing so much. And so I was a little bit taller than him. But at least I wasn't alone in the house. He was always mailing his realtor calendars to us. Does anybody remember those? I wonder if they still do that. I think they still do that. And every year he still kept sending and mailing realtor calendars no matter where we moved. And I kept thinking to myself, are they still friends? What is still happening? Why is he still here? And I remember getting so angry, so upset, but not understanding why. Why was he still in our lives? So there was years after that that I would not see him, but the calendars kept coming. Back in 2005, I decided to report this to the police. It was something that kept sitting with me and I needed to do something, even in the fear I was feeling and also because I knew I wasn't the only one. When I placed that call into the police, they told me that they would be there within the hour. And I was really shocked by this and I was just like, like, no, because I mean, like this happened 27 years ago. You know, I thought I would just make an appointment and come in sometime next week. And they said that there are no limitations on time and that they were going to be there soon. So my best friend came to support me while I was talking with the police. There was two of them, two men, an older one and a younger one. The younger, the older one, sorry, 
didn't look like this was something that he wanted to be a part of, and he had this gruff nature about him. The younger one, who I talked to the most, had compassion and was gently listening and offering guidance. As I explained my story and shared the memories, he kindly told me that it would be a he said, she said type of scenario. And I knew this already, and I wasn't looking to push further and lay charges because I knew my memories were scattered. But he told me I could open up a file on him and that they would do some research and look into this man and see if others had opened a file on him. Then I could be a part of that, which I said, yes, absolutely. They gave me a victim statement to fill out and then they left. So when I filled it out and I gave it back to the Calgary police, I received a phone call a few days later stating that because this didn't happen in Calgary, it happened in Delroy, outside of Calgary, I would have to report it to the RCMP. This was just making me feel sick and my heart sank. So I would have to tell this story again. So I called up the RCMP and I said I wanted to report this and they asked me to share the story with them. So I did only to have them tell me that this was not their department and I would be transferred to another department. Fuck. So I get transferred and I tell the entire story again, which is once again upsetting me, only only to be told the same thing. And once again, I was transferred to someone else. A third time in telling my story and finally they said I could just fax my Calgary police, my Calgary police report and that that was going to be enough. And that entire experience was just exhausting because it just felt like I had to kind of keep reliving everything again. They did report back to me that no one else had opened a file on this man. And how did I want to proceed? I said, I want to keep the file open, but I didn't want to press any charges at this time. I knew of two others who were abused by Maurice, but they didn't want to come forward and I was not going to press the issue. I mean, I get it. Considering how all of this was making me feel, sick, vulnerable, anxious, terrified, I could completely understand. But there was something vital during this time that needed to happen for me. And that was to do the best I could by reporting Maurice to the authorities. I knew I had to do more than remain silent. That was a huge first step in a year that would prove challenging and bring me face to face with him again three more times. More in the next episode.